Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then, in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Thanks very much. Well, that must be about the shortest Bible reading you've ever had, isn't it? You probably didn't even have time to get your Bibles out and look it up. It's over. Wow, that was quick. Thank goodness sermons don't have to be as short as the, um, the passage. We can go for as long as we like. I heard this uh, cute little story um, about two boys who were playing at school together, great mates. Uh, one, one went to a sort of a very formal Anglican church and the other one went to a, uh, a wacky Baptist church. And, but they were great friends and they used to compare notes in the playground and say, what does your church do? What does your church do? And, and one time they said, what? hey, instead, why don't you come to my church? So, uh, the Anglican, little Anglican boy said to his Baptist friend, why don't you come to my church on Sunday? So uh, he asked his mum and dad, they said it would be fine, off he went and he got into church. Wow, it was very different because the Anglican minister at that church wore all kinds of fancy robes and outfits and things. That stunned this little boy. And then when he, the minister got up to preach, he went like this, he sort of, and then started his sermon. And the little Baptist boy nudged his friend and said, what, what, what does that mean? And the little Anglican boy said, well, it means, um, may my thoughts, my words, and my will be yours, O Lord. I went, wow, my minister doesn't do that. And so the next week, the little Anglican boy went to the Baptist church with the Baptist boy. And when they got in there, you know, the the minister was just wearing, you know, street clothes and nothing fancy about that. And when it came to the sermon, um, he noticed that the, the, the minister took his watch off uh, and he put it down on the lectern like that. And the little Anglican boy said, what does that mean? And the Baptist boy said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> but I do notice, I'll keep an eye on the time, Ron. We're good. It's a short passage. It's very short. Actually, um, have you heard these parables before, these stories before? Um, they were made famous for me when, um, uh, when, I, was a, uh, when I was little. There used to be um, these books and all the Bible stories rhyme. They're called arch books. And I noticed in Kurong when I was there recently, they're back in print. Uh, they were lots of fun. I enjoyed them as a young, a young boy. And these stories were in them. Um, they made them actually much, much longer than they were in the Bible. Um, but uh, they've all, it's always fascinated me, these two stories. In fact, parables have always fascinated me. What, what is a parable? Why do we have parables? What are parables for? Um, they don't only exist in the Bible, but they, Jesus really made parables famous. Um, but what is a parable? Why use them? And what do they mean? Parables really are riddles. Some people, I remember in Sunday school being told that a parable is an, a, a heavenly story. No, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That was right. A he, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, except... Even when you look through the New Testament, you can find parables that aren't stories. So what is a parable? It's a riddle. It's a a means of speaking and saying a truth without actually explaining the truth. 
but instead making people wonder what is this about. Jesus often spoke in parables. We're going to look at a couple tonight, so I'm going to pray and then we'll look at these riddles together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you'll help me to be clear with your word. And even though we're looking at riddles tonight, I pray, Heavenly Father, that your truth might be known. And that by knowing the truth, you'll set us free from all those things that bind us and you'll give us life. Amen. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching for correction, for rebuke and for training in righteousness. I reckon that's a good measure for any sermon. If I'm preaching God's word, then there should be something here that may be teaching for you, maybe correction for you, maybe a rebuke, or maybe something that will help you train to improve um, in your relationship or in your knowledge of, of God. That's the measure I want you to use tonight on this message. 2 Timothy 3.16 Teach, correct, rebuke or train. Because as we look at these parables they aren't as simple as they first appear. Let's have a look at them. The first one uh, was a story about a man who found a treasure hidden in a field. Jesus says that when he found it he went um, and sold everything he owned And he bought the field. Now, why would you do that? Well, um, in Israel at this time, uh, land laws worked in this way. If there's something in the land, then it belongs to whoever owns the land. So he's walking along. He stumbles across this treasure that's in a field and he knows that he can go and buy the field and get the treasure. He gets the land and the treasure. And he considers it so valuable that he goes and he sells, what Jesus says, he sold everything he had and he bought the field. Now Jesus is explaining this, giving this story to a crowd of people. Some of them follow him because they're fascinated by what he says. Some of them following him because they want to trip him up and trap him. Some people love him, some people hate him. And he tells a story about land purchase and basically says... If you found a treasure in the field, would you go and sell everything you had to get it? That's all he says. Then he tells the next story. Uh, it's very similar. Uh, the kingdom of heaven's like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and he bought it. In other words, here's a merchant who discovered a most precious pearl, a spectacular jewel and he got rid of everything else he owned so that he could have that. And I think the meaning of these stories is pretty evident, don't you? Well, if you think it's that simple, beware. Because parables are riddles. If the meaning was that simple, I wonder why Jesus used these riddles. Because just a few verses earlier, his disciples said, why do you speak in parables to the crowds and yet to us you explain the meaning? Why don't you give the meaning to everyone is really what 
is implied and Jesus says, no, I'm speaking, uh, I won't say anything to the crowd without using parables so that I will fulfil what the prophet said, I'll open my mouth in riddles, I'll utter things hidden since the creation of the world. It's almost like Jesus doesn't want to promote that product that Chris was asking us to pick on. He doesn't want us to endorse things. He's actually speaking in a way that people won't understand. Why is he doing that? I think it's actually a brilliant device because he makes the crowd go away wondering what is he talking about. As they leave from hearing him, I can just imagine the crowd saying, what is that teacher saying? Is he talking about the kingdom of heaven being so valuable that I need to sell everything to get it? Is that what he's saying? What could be so special about the kingdom that I would give up everything? And I imagine that would spring into conversations about idolatry because the people that he's speaking to, predominantly Jewish people, have grown up knowing the commandments of God and knowing that the great and first commandment is that you are to have no other God but me. And so any idol, anything that takes God's place, you need to go straight past it and go to God. Idols were a great problem for the people then and are a great problem (laughs) for us today. And I just wonder if people going away from listening to Jesus would have been caught on the issue of idols. An idol, uh, according to Rebecca Pippet in a book she's written, says that whatever controls us is our Lord and the person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by people. We do not control ourselves. We're controlled by the Lord or the Lords of our life and whatever controls us is our Lord. Do you have something that's got between you and Jesus? Is there something in your life that has actually taken God's place? Now, obviously, I'm standing in a church before people have come out on a Sunday evening and all, of course you'll all say, no, 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 I only bow down to God. I only have God. He's the, he is the only one I worship. He's my only Lord. I, 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 I would love for that to be the case. But if your heart is like my heart, then we are so often tempted to be taken by other things, aren't we? The kingdom of heaven is worth everything. Have you given everything? What do you have left? What are you hanging on to? What is it that's becoming between you and God? What could there be possibly that's worth more than the kingdom of heaven and a relationship with God that is eternal? The people that are being baptised and the guys being confirmed tonight are saying, we want to follow Jesus, number one. They're really making it clear tonight. What about you? Where does Jesus figure for you? Is he the treasure that you're willing to give up everything for? You see, the New Testament speaks of a problem that we have. In the Old Testament, the word idol was used. In the New Testament, the word desire is used. And in the Old Testament, people did literally bow down to carved pieces of stone and wood and offer them sacrifices, people in the 21st century still do that. 
But what was common at the time of Jesus was people would give their heart to something or someone else. Their desires. If idolatry is the characteristic that sums up the Old Testament word for our drift away from God, then desires is characteristic in summary in the New Testament. Both are shorthand for the problem of human beings. The New Testament merges the concept of idolatry and the concept of an inordinate life, life-ruling desires together. And idolatry becomes a problem of the heart, a metaphor, a metaphor for human lust and craving and yearning and greedy demands. That's our problem, isn't it? We actually desire things that will take God's place. Uh, Tim Keller writes this in a book. Uh, Why do we lie or fail to love? Why do we break promises or live selfishly? Of course, the general answer is because we're weak and sinful. But the specific answer is always that there is something besides Jesus that we feel we must have in order to be happy. Something that's more important than Jesus to our heart. Something that is enslaving our heart through inordinate desires. What is it for you that could possibly get between you and that treasure of Jesus? Because I think one of the biggest problems in the Western world today is idolatry and desire. Because we believe what we see on television, we believe what we see on social media, that there is something or someone somewhere that will make me happier than Jesus can. Well, the confirmees and those getting baptised and they say, no, no, Jesus is the only one who will really satisfy me. That's a great thing to say. Baptism and confirmation is not a one-way statement though. Uh, The people being baptised are not getting up and saying something just to us. When people get confirmed, although I'm going to ask them some questions and the answers are written down in the sheet so they get the the answer's right, (laughs) it isn't just for them to say it. We actually have a response back. You see, the statement they make about wanting to follow Jesus is so significant and important that we actually want to be part of it with them. We want to support them. I hope that's why you're here. And I hope you'll continue to pray for them. Are there any... um, Annalise and Caden are being confirmed tonight. Um, That's because they were baptised when they were much younger. Uh, Do we have any godparents or parents here for Annalise and Caden? We do? Fantastic. It's so good you could be here. Uh, Do you remember the promises you made when they were baptised? You do? That's fantastic. You promised to pray for them. And tonight they're being confirmed. And you think you're off the hook? No. You've got to keep doing it. You've got to keep praying. In fact, we all should keep praying for them, supporting them, encouraging them. Because I would hate to think that anything that could get between them and Jesus, that they would ever think there's something that would make them happier or more complete or more satisfied than Jesus will. And that's what an idol is. And that's what will trip us up and that's what will make us drift from God. I hope that never happens to you. I hope that you've recognised the greatest treasure is Jesus Christ and you give up everything to follow him. That's kind of what the story seems to be pointing to, doesn't it? 
But how do you know what your idols are? I've, I've, I've got a PowerPoint with some questions on it that might help you discover the idols that are tripping you up. Questions you can ask yourself. Uh, the first question, what's my greatest nightmare? What do I worry about most? Because that may actually be the thing that causes doubt that Jesus actually can't sustain you, support you, love you, hold you. What is that fear? Or or another question you might consider asking yourself, what or who, if they or it failed, or if I lost it or them, would cause me to feel that I didn't want to keep going anymore? That's a great question to ask. I think when I ask myself this question, I suddenly had images of my children, my wife, because if I lost them, wow, that's a big loss. Right? Am I making them an idol? It's possible. Next question. Do I rely on or comfort myself with... uh, What do I rely on or comfort myself with when things go badly or become difficult? Uh, Because that's probably something that will make you drift from Jesus if it's not him. It's a good question. Next one. What do I think most easily about? What, what does my mind go to when I'm free? What preoccupies me? That was a, I thought that was a brilliant question. Because so often when I'm just you know, in the zone thinking about whatever I want, what is it that keeps coming into my head? It's probably the thing I'm going to give most time to. It's probably the thing that I'm most entertained and pleased by. And is it God? Uh, let me... Let me share a bit of a confession with you. Uh, Recently, I was involved in some property dealings which left me with a lot of money. Um, Now, I know I'm I'm not proud to say this and I'm especially not proud because um, the property purchases and me making money was at the expense of my own son. Uh, I literally worked harder than him to get the properties so that he would miss out. And things got very tense between the two of us. So tense, in fact, that my wife said, put the box on the game, put the monopoly away and stop playing it. (laughs) Yeah, I had the air for a moment, didn't I? Yeah. (laughs) See, you see, it's really easy to fall for money as an idol. It's really easy to fall for property as an idol. It's really easy in our world to fall for all sorts of things and let that be the object of your affection instead of God. For that to be your treasure and to pursue it and not God. But I tell you, when you, whatever you can accumulate, whatever you can get, when the game is over and the lid goes on your box, it's not worth anything. In fact, it's worth about the same amount as that monopoly money. Yeah? What treasure are you seeking? 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is profitable for teaching. Have you learned anything about your own heart tonight and what might be tripping you up? It's also useful for correction. Do you hear where you maybe need to change? 
Has God spoken into your heart this evening through these simple stories to say, no, don't have that as your treasure? Rebuke. Maybe, maybe God has said to you, I'm not your number one. Or training in righteousness. That is, these are the things I need to do to make sure God stays number one. What is it for you? Mind you, a parable is a riddle and it's not easy to solve. I wonder if the way I've explained the parable is right. See, there's another way to look at it. I'm so quick to put myself in the story, to be the man who finds the treasure or the merchant who buys the pearl. But what if God is the man who finds the treasure and you're the treasure? What if God is the merchant and you're the pearl? And he gives his only son so that you can have eternal life. He gives up everything to get you. I reckon if I heard Jesus tell these stories, I walk away going, what was that story about? Because both ways work. I don't know which way is right. But I do know this. Jesus is king. I need to keep listening to him. What about you? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the two truths that are in these simple stories. That you are number one. Forgive us for when we create our own idol, we put something between us and you and give ourselves to it. Forgive us for that. Help us not to. And do that, Father, I pray, for each person in this place by reminding us that you gave up everything for us. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.